When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Dad Vengers podcast, sponsored by Tonka, because being tough is all about getting out and playing. My name's Nigel Clark and I'm founder of Dad Vengers and host of this wonderful parenting podcast where we explore different aspects of parenting and hone in on the dad point of view. But it's not just about the dads. Mums, grandparents, carers, soon-to-be parents, we want you involved in the conversation too. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, please, please subscribe. It's so important because we can only continue to have important conversations like this if we can prove you're out there listening and subscribing is the best way to let us know. So let's talk, let's laugh, let's share the things we find difficult and become the type of dads we really want to be. What's up folks and welcome to another episode of the Dad Avengers podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about today's guest and have been ever since I met him about six months ago because he's a straight talker who speaks his mind and that's going to make for a great chat. Um, He's best known as a professional footballer. He's also a father of four and more recently he's also become an activist as well. Please welcome Troy Deeney. (laughs) I will have to say the activist part is a bit bit weird to add to my name but thank you very much for that intro. Yeah, dude. And it's more recent and we will get into it later later in this conversation. And even if you don't think you are now and because you're so new to it, um, I think in the coming months, years, activists will will become a title that that you're happy to. I'm hoping you're going to be happy to to accept (laughs) as well, because you're doing some absolutely amazing stuff and we're going to get into that. But to put it all into context, um, Let's first talk a little bit about your childhood and your experience growing up. I mean, where did you grow up? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a, a place called Chelmseywood, which is in Birmingham. It was uh, the largest estate in Europe until early 1990s, I believe. Um, yeah, normal, low-income housing, same same gigs as everything, you know. Um, a lot of trouble around, a lot of distractions. Um, but I generally had a, a nice childhood in the, in the aspect of I had a few instances which we'll get into but I had a few um, instances throughout my lifetime but all in all I was generally quite happy loved playing football I had, I've got brothers and sisters and I'm the oldest so my youngest brother I mean my my eldest of my youngest brothers is um, he's three years younger than me so me and him was just like peas in a pod for a long time play football together fighting Everything you, everything you wanted to do as kids, um, you know, we did. And we lived in um, 
in a one bed flat to start with. Then we moved to a two bed flat with four of us. And then we moved into a masonette, which had three bedrooms. And then we eventually, by the time I was, I was a teenager, we got a house. Because okay. um, it was all council, do you know what I mean? Just keep moving, moving. So it was, um, things were tough, but uh, I enjoyed my, my early years as being a kid, yeah. Do you think um, living in such a way brought you closer to your family? Because you talked there about four of you living in a two-bedroom uh, flat. Now that's close proximity and there's many people all over the country that live like that. Did it, did it um, develop a sense of togetherness, pride in your family? What was that like? Uh, it's always been pride. So my dad was, he's Jamaican, or was Jamaican, should I say. Um, and it's, it's one of those ones where you always, we're always taught like your last name's your first name. So whoever hears your last name, you're representing the whole family. So don't let anyone down, uh, be respectful. Anything you can do for free, i.e. manners, you make sure you do that. Um, and that's what we stood on from, from, well, from then and even now we still do that. And when we first met, I think you, you'd like to, I'd like to say that I'm respectful and uh, use my manners. So that's just some of that's ingrained in me. But what it did for us as kids was we just knew we had to work hard. We had to work harder than, and it felt like we had to work harder than everybody else just to get something. Mum was working two, three jobs and we always just seemed to have nothing at the end of it. Do you know what I mean? We always just, no matter which way it, it worked out, we never had anything, but we was able to, I speak to my kids about it now because they're in the complete polar opposites of that. But we used to have two pairs of shoes a year, like a pair of school shoes and a pair of fast shoes, we used to call them. You know, they, they were your football running party shoes. <laughs> do you know what I mean? No matter which, your no matter fast which shoes. way. Your fast shoes, yeah. So um, that, that, was, that, that was it. And if you, if you happen to grow quickly or put a hole in them or whatever, it was, you know, it was a struggle to get the next pair. Yeah, you speak of it fondly and you speak of it, um, you, it sounds like you, you remember lots because you remember all the different houses you, and that, that speaks of a love, but it wasn't, it wasn't all easy going, was it? No, it definitely wasn't. Um, but I, 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 say, I say that I speak about it fondly because although I live, I don't live in the same house, I still live close enough, I still go back. Um, I've just done the book as well. I've just uh, written the book, and that's actually funny enough. That's up for um, book of the year, believe it or not. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, so that's that's done really well. But because I've just relived all of that, um, it's still fresh. Like I, I, I do have a real good memory because uh, what I'm about to say now happened to me when I was nine years old. So um, my dad was, you know, a bit of bit of a somebody, shall we say? He was in and out of jail and doing what he was doing. Um, and my mum left him um, because it was just too wild, you know, like police breaking in and she didn't want us to see all of that. And also she couldn't trust him in, in the regards of like, he wasn't stable enough to be around and, and help raise a family. So she left, but as I say, my dad was a somebody and he didn't do that to my dad. Um, so he had an episode basically where he forgot that we was his family and his kids and uh, he, he had a, an angry episode. And like I say, I was I was nine and he was beating my mum and trying to make her come back. And um, I would say like any nine-year-old would, but having learned about this in therapy, I don't think everyone does. Um, I, I just kept getting in the way, jumping up, 
taking beats and getting back up and doing it again. And yeah, I took a bit of a beating that day. And thankfully, uh, a young friend of mine at the time knocked the door because he wanted to see if I was going to play out. And my dad answered the door angrily and scared the young young kid. He ran to his house two doors down, told his mom there was a, a big man, shouted at him at Troy's house. She come and heard the commotion, phoned the police. And, you know, we, we like to think that's how we got saved because there was no sign of it letting up, let's put it that way. And, um, yeah, took, that, was, that, was, that was quite hard because my dad was my hero and still is my hero. Um, but it was just one of those things, like, how could you do that to me kind of vibe? Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just one of those things. And I, and I, I talk about it quite blasely because in the environment I was from, everyone had something going on. So my friend across the road, his mom was an alcoholic, my friend across the road there, his dad was a, um, a drug abuser. Like we all had stuff going on, but it was kind of like, you're talking nineties as well. So this was like, when you, you shut your door, you never, you don't talk about your problems. It's not as free as it is now so as a family we didn't really speak about it after it happened we just we just left it alone you raise a really good point there about how every family has their own demons things going mm -hmm. on in their families do you think that people are more open to talking about them in a in a public space than they were when you were younger no i still don't think they are because you have to remember there's an element of shame attached to that um, and there's an element of, you know, are we being looked at weirdly? Are we being the, uh, are we, are we that family? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, are we yeah. that family? Are we the, uh, Jeremy Kyle family or whatever you want to call it? Um, yeah. so no, it's not, it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, but I just think, I just think there's a growth in, in, especially in myself, but with my mom, um, being able to talk about it and, you know, before I ever spoke about it, I spoke to my mum and said, like, I think this is something that could help people. And we had a, a chat about it. This is, you're talking, what, five, six years ago? It was only the first time I really spoke, spoke out about it. Um, and, like, I just think it's, I think it's more important to the story of me because it's not necessarily the action that happened. It's what happened afterwards. So, mm -hmm. like, be, being in school with social workers, now I'm that kid that everyone looks at. Like, why is that big right. grown man sat next to Troy? Yeah, yeah. Do you get yeah. what I mean? Either I, I kind of the only way I can describe it for young people is like, remember you had the diabetic in school that could eat in class. Yeah, and we was all like, why does? And in my case, it was a girl called Kirsty. I'll never forget it. Blood girl called Kirsty. <laughs> why does Kirsty get to eat quavers in school? Why does she get to have Kit Kats? But we have to wait till lunch. Do you get what I mean? And it was. So I, I felt like, I felt worse than Kirsty in that, in that regard because I had this, you know, in the little primary school chairs because I remember I'm at primary school when this happened to me. So we were on the little small tables and I've got this big grown man trying to sit on a little chair next to me and try and help me and it, it, just, it just made me feel really, uh, really weird and really awful, really, like, because I don't like sympathy, but I felt like everyone was like, Oh, it's more the teachers and the kids, because as you know, kids are unforgiving. Yeah. They don't really care. <laughs> but um, pet teachers were all like, well, are you okay, Troy? And do you need help? Or how's things at home? And it's like, I just didn't want to talk about it. I just, yeah, it's fine. And just carry on. You said that you first started 
talking about mental health maybe six years ago or so. And you've just mentioned how you didn't want to be that kid that people were looking at. You didn't want to, you know, out yourself, let's say, in that way. How did you get to a point where you could go to therapy? Because this is one of the biggest questions that we come across when I'm doing the work with Dad Ventures and stuff. It's getting men to that point where they can go and sit down in front of someone and talk about it. Because leading up to that point, there's a lot of, no, I'm all right, I'm going to be okay, da-da-da, deflect, deflect, and all of those, those things that go on. How did you get to that point? Well, how I'm going to say it, I, I really hope nobody has to do it the way I did it. So um, what happened a little bit later is my, my dad died. So when I, went, when I was 22, yeah, my dad died when I was 22. So um, in that 15-month period before that, I lost my great-nan, my granddad, and my dad. So three of the five people that raised me died in 15 months. And um, oh, it's all right. It's actually, um, it's actually going to be 10 years in three days' time since my dad died. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it was one of those things. It hit, it hit me. But what I didn't, because I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have that, um, that social construct to be able to speak to. You know, in our community, we call them elders, like your, your uncles or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But... If, if you just listen to what I said, my construct had just passed. So my dad had gone, my granddad had gone, and I'm going, everybody else around me, I'm playing football at this point, and I've, I've elevated to a, a social level in terms of like who I'm around and, and the money and all of those things, where now people don't even think you're human. Mm. You're, you've now socially gone above everybody else in your family yeah. because you can provide. So, um, yeah, so... I didn't have anyone to speak to and, and then I was drinking a lot. Uh, and when you're in that, you don't really feel like you're drinking a lot because it's just your normal. But yeah, I was drinking like, uh, people might see, but they had like cans of Jack Daniels and Coke. I think they still sell them in shops now. I was yeah. drinking like four of those on the way to work in the morning and then just drinking all day and just nonstop, right? And, um, and obviously I got into trouble um, yeah. Obviously, went to went to jail for it. I, I don't like talking about that story because there's there's a victim on the end of it, um, yeah. and and they have a family and stuff. So I don't really like talking about what really happened in that situation. Um, but I, you know, I, I pled guilty and got sent to jail for it. I did and did my time, and I feel like since I've come out, I've been I've been a lot better, um, well, a million times better. But in in being in jail, so I buried my dad on the Friday. I went to jail on the Monday. Whoa. So. I never had a, I never had any time to to grieve or any time to understand what was really going on with me. So I I then went um, while in jail I went into survival mode because I am vulnerable now. I'm in I'm in a proper jail. Yeah. I'm in with people that don't care and my and dad's probably just a died. bit of a target as well. Yeah, exactly. All of those above, and I just went back into survival mode. So. Um, in the process of, of coming out of jail, I had to do um, alcohol awareness courses, drug courses, and they sent me, had to do one uh, therapy session. Um, and I did a therapy session and, and, I, and I'll be honest, I hated it. It was because it was very generic, like, how are you? And how do you feel today? And when you look at the sun, what does that represent for you? And it was like, well, I just did it just to do it. And then um, 
when I when I came home, um, I was on tag. I was on tag for three three months. So I had a seven. So my my day was seven till seven. And when you've been inside, it's like you're very routine because you know got to get up at this time, do that, and do that. But as soon as I came out, I'd, I'd been writing all the time. I love writing. I still write to this day. So I write like plans. I write like what I want to do. Um, especially when I was in jail, it was like write who I owed money to, how I was never going to owe money to anyone again, and all these plans. It was like a five year plan, and then I worked backwards. Um, the biggest one that I, that I wrote in there because I had a friend who I still got a friend to this day. He was inside, and he just said, "You're all right," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm cool." He's like, walked into my cell, kind of like pulled the door to. I went, you like you you look in a bad way. I went, he went, I haven't known you that long, but you're tired, man. I can see you're just carrying whatever you're carrying. I don't know what because obviously I wasn't speaking at that point. I don't know yeah. what you're carrying, but promise me that when you come out of here, you'll speak to someone. And I said, yeah, no problem. And he was, he was my friend. He still is my friend to this day. And it was like, just speak to someone. And um, and then when I went back to Watford, they just hired. It was like if it was meant to be. They just hired a in-house um, sports psychologist. Yeah. So I, I just knocked his door second day about being at work, and uh, he won't mind me saying his name is uh, Professor Tim O'Brien, one of the one of the biggest biggest reasons and factors as to where I am today, just mentally in in the space of being able to create something. Because he he doesn't look like me. He's a he's about five foot four, uh, I'd say mid fifties, white man, grey hair, Irish, complete opposite <laughs> to me. Do you know what I mean? But he 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 created a platform and a construct for me to talk. And every time I left his office, I didn't I didn't not going to do all oh, that weight off my shoulders. I was knackered mentally. <laughs> I was physically tired. Yeah. And then, but I used to come home and sleep remarkably well every time and then after a few times I said can I ask you a question like I'm when I leave here I've got a headache when I leave but I go home and I sleep really well he's went it's because we're getting somewhere because now your brain's going have it please get have it all get it all out and I, I was working with him for like four years uh and then we broke through a lot of stuff and then it was like he's his remit had gone so he put me on to two other types of therapists and I'm, and I'm still seeing them to this day. So like in, in our community, a lot of people will need to see what I would class as a, a trauma therapy and a trauma therapist to, to be able to break down the layers. And, and when you do that, that shows you and makes you a better parent, in my opinion, from my, my experiences, because you start learning that your learned behaviours from six, nine and 12 are what you'll always revert back to mentally. So if someone gets you angry, you'll go back to one of those three stages. That I've experienced as a child growing up. Uh, it's so, it's so um, amazing that you talk about that because I've heard about it before and I haven't actually ever been through therapy, but I, I'm curious that I want to, to see what's there. And there's something that you said that I really want to highlight for people that might be listening, who might be thinking about therapy. You said the first time you did it, you didn't really connect with that person that did it. But then when you, you met the guy, um, Tim, back at Watford, then it clicked for you. And 
it's really important for people to know it might you might not meet the right person the first time you might not meet the right person the second time you might not meet the right person the third time but there will be someone out there who does resonate with you and does connect with you and will be able to help you it's not about giving up on the first try is it of course not and that's that's everything in life if you got everything right the first time in life then you'd be Elon Musk, you'd be the, the biggest billionaire in this world, <laughs> wouldn't you? Because you'd, you'd never fail. But even even within that, I, I, I just think that the beauty is in the failing because now you've learned something. Now you learn what you don't don't want to do or don't, don't want to go down that route. So the next time you approach it, you just go, right. For example, when I met Tim, I said to him, look, I just want to have a conversation. I don't want to have these these generic six, seven questions. I want to be able to talk to him like I'm talking to you. Like I say, he asked me how my day is going to go. Yeah, it's like this, like that. Oh, you said this. What is that like? Like why, why did you use that word instead of using this word? And before I knew it, he was able to dig into my backstory before, you know, within the first session by me using a certain type of word. That's, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And then the fact that you have already noticed, well, it's, I know it's been some years, but you, I'm sure you noticed quite quickly that it was affecting your parenting and the way you parent and has made you a better parent in your eyes. Uh, and I'm sure it has, I agree with you. Um, that's the special thing, that's the important thing because then your children are in a better place, right? 100%, because remember, there's, there's so many forms of like, connecting with your child so i i grew up on and maybe you're the same um i grew up on like you you can't cry you can't show weakness yeah yeah you know that the the saying of like when you're crying if you carry on crying i'll give you something to cry about all of all of those things and like i think as parents what what we do we expect best way to put it is this way so we we look at our parents like they knew everything but when you actually break it down so my mum was 17 when she had me. Mm. So when she's going through all of these uh, struggles and, 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 and life and trying to get it together, she's maybe mid-20s, 30s. Do you get what I mean? And, and yeah. I'm going, you should know everything. Well, now when I flip it on my own self, my son's going to be 13 on Monday. I'm 33. Do I know it all? No. But he's looking exactly. at me like I know it all. Yeah. Same way that we looked at our parents. And we always look at our parents like, you should know it all. But all our parents are trying to do is guide us through a maze, through their, their probably limited experience of life at that time, uh, limited knowledge at that time. And also the biggest construct in, in, in how my parents did it, looking back, was fear. Fear of not being able to provide. So, and, and as parents, and I think mainly as males... We, we always put this like defense mechanism up like I've got to work. So because I'm working, it doesn't mean I have to put the time in because I'm providing. And that's our that's our fallback. Yeah, I, 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 the lights, are, the bills are paid that you got a house over your head. So it doesn't really matter if I'm home. Yeah, so many men still have that way of thinking. And it's a leftover thing from our parents and our parents' parents where they think that their quota of being a dad is to provide the cash or the, the, the roof over the head and that's it, job done. And they, they step away from that and they're like, yeah, I've done my bit. Yes, we, we all need to do that, but that is not the essence of it. That is not 
that's not where the real gems are. The real gold is the real payback. A hundred percent. And you know, we do, we do this thing where, but that's selfish within itself. When you break it down, that's a justification for us to make us feel better about the things we're not doing as parents. So we go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm providing. They've got a roof over there. They're safe. Okay, but are they emotionally connecting? Are you? Do they understand what's going on in their bodies, in their brains? Are we actually controlling what they watch? Are we? Are we actually telling them the right things to watch and read? Are, we, are they eating enough? Are they brushing their teeth two or three times a day? Because we're not there. You know, all these little nuances all come from learnt behaviours before. So. Like, like I started at the, at the, at the top, top of this part is saying like, when it comes to being emotional, that wasn't allowed in my household. So I, I, look, I can show you, I can't touch my shoulder, see? I broke my elbow as a kid, like that. I can't touch my shoulder, it's got like, it's all metal and all of that, it, it was a mess. Whoa. I weren't allowed to cry. You weren't allowed to cry? In that, in that moment when you broke your no. elbow, you smashed mm-hmm. your elbow, you are in excruciating pain I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No crying. And I, I, I come home and I was crying and my mum was like, what's happened? And I was like, I couldn't put, my arm was like that. It wouldn't come straight. It was like that. And imagine the blood was down here. And uh. it was like, and again, this is, this is not like a, a, a dig at my mum because we, we, we laugh about it now, but it was like, stop crying. If I've got to take you to the hospital, you better be something wrong with you. Do you know what I mean? We get to the hospital, <laughs> I walk in, I show them my arm, and the and lady's they... like, they went, forget waiting, because there was a big queue as there always is. They just put me straight in, into, into a bed, yeah. put me on a sling. I was in, and within, within 20 minutes, I was in the x-ray room. And then when they come back, it turned out that I'd broken my elbow. I don't know what this bone is across here, but I basically just smashed all my elbow to pieces. Um, I was in hospital for six days like this to get all the fluid out and wow. then they could then they could operate and then they put me in a cast and I was allowed to go. So I was, I was in hospital for about nine days in total um, and, and my dad came and the first thing he said was, was you crying? Uh, he didn't even say like, do, do you, what do happened? Do you even remember <laughs> how that made you feel? Can you, could, and, and it's a long time ago. Um, but maybe with you going back and doing the bits from the book, you've thought about these things. Do you know how that affected you? Did it affect you? No, it's, it's like, it, it was, that was it. It was just, uh, I grew up in a tough place. So all you knew was to be tough. And I was like, yeah, dad, I cried, but dad, it really hurt. And he's like, well, at least you got a cast. So, and then he went, so what happened? Because <laughs> at this point, he didn't even know what had happened. He was just like, that was it, like, how did we look first? Like, how, how do, did we look soft? And then like, once I explained it, he was like, okay, my bad. And then he would have bought me a McDonald's. And like I say, we, we didn't have much. So a, a McDonald's to us was like a, a birthday treat. You know, like on your birthday, you got a McDonald's and some, some presents. So he just bought me a McDonald's and it was like, look, you, you did well. Like you, you're doing all right. You've got to make sure you do the, because at that time I was doing therapy as well afterwards, like when I finished. It's like, you yeah. just got to get your arm back and, Thankfully, I'm like, I'm nearly, like as you can see, I can nearly touch it. Nearly but touching it. But if you imagine it. when I was a kid, I was like there. I couldn't, I couldn't touch my shoulder. I still struggle now, but like if I push it down, I can, be, I can get to it. So, yeah. You talk about your dad there and your experiences. Did you always want to be a dad? Yeah, but I would say I, I never, I didn't know how to be a dad. I still don't know how to be a dad. I'm still trying to work out that concept of what that, 
what what does a dad look like? Mm. And I think, I think like I so you know when you're driving down the street, I don't know whether you did this. You're driving down the street. Let's say it's a Sunday, and you see that family and they're out, all of them on their bikes together. Yeah, dad, mom, like kids. four families. Yeah, two kids. Like they're all riding and yeah. I look and I go, is is that a family? Is that is that what? A family does is that what a dad does takes his kids out on a Sunday but then when you when you layer it back one more you're like well does he do that on a Sunday because he's never there Monday to Saturday the all oh, right yeah exactly yeah is he overcompensating now or is it the complete opposite he that is just something he doesn't even want to be there it's just something that the kids enjoy so now he's doing it but he's doing it but he's not actually involved in it yeah yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? What you brought up there is about that work-life balance because most of the time, whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter whether you're a mum or a dad, you have to balance whatever you need to do to make life work, to make your money, to get the food on the table, whatever, along with being there for your kids, both emotionally and physically, and just, just to play as well. And that balance is a difficult thing to do. But that said, I think a lot of people saw some things over the pandemic that has made them think. Whether they've stuck to it or not, I have no idea. But I think a lot of people saw some things during that pandemic, they were like, oh, this is the way life should be. And I want it to be that way. But then we came out of the pandemic and I don't know whether that's all gone to pot. But that's when when life takes back over. And um, I, I think it's important as well, like you just said, this, this is like about dads, but there's, there's, in my case as well, like my mum was my man dad for a lot of time. Um, so I think the beauty now for me is like my mum's mid-50s now and um, she's able to be more grandparent now because all that we did as kids. So like I, I was working at the age of 11. I, I was going, I was doing like... You probably wouldn't be able to do it now, but I was doing glass collecting and um, cleaning the bookies with my mum and all of these different things just to get, like, extra bit of dough. And all the dough I gave just gave to my mum because um, I was, to put it this way, I, I've, I've always been able to make money. So I was at, I was at school. If, are you t- send me to school with 50p, I'm coming home with £2. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm playing money up the wall, I'm eating, I'm doing whatever, and I've got £2 profit at the end. There you go, mum. Let's do that. Um but like now, the beauty for me is seeing my mum be able to be grandparent. Like she's yeah. now, cause she's got, she's got more time and like I'm 33, soon to be 34, my brother's 30, my sister's 25 and my, my two youngest brothers are 14. Yeah. So 15, sorry, 15, so. And um, she's in a space now where she, she's got her weekends back. <laughs> and, we, and we spoke about this the other day and it's like, she's like, I can call her now and go, I need you to pick the kids up. And she's like, no problems. When, where, how? Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, I just want to do it. I never, I wasn't able to do that with you kids because when I was like, I'm from the age of, yeah, from the age of nine, really, I've always, I've picked my brother and sister up from school. Wow. Do you get what I mean? So like when, especially when I got to secondary school, I was 11. I got in so much trouble at secondary school because I had to leave the, the last registration. I used to miss that to pick my brother up from school, to then walk round to the back to the nursery to pick my sister up from school and walk home. And then because my mum was at work and my brother played for Aston Villa at the time as a kid, I'd make them do the homework, I'd cook them some beans on toast, get them ready, get myself ready, right, mum's here, let's go. And he'd literally be like, mum pulled in at five, 
We all run out, throw him in the car, turn him around because he had to be at football for six. And that was like, that was a three times a week thing. Dude, the, 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 what's making me smile about you telling that story is for me, that is like daddy training right there. Right there, mm-hmm. that is like the training to become a better dad that some people mm-hmm. never go through and don't yeah. even realise. There's so many dads that don't aren't able to do the school pickup. Uh, or yeah. get them home and then start them on their homework and, and all of that. And all of those things that you described are like some sort of little daddy training camp that I'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. would have like put you in good stead. But do you know what it does as well though? Sorry to cut you. Do you know what it does as well though? Like you, you, you start having a more uh, profound respect for, for, for women who are doing that as well. So now in, in the relationship that, that I'm in, we, because we're both working, it's like whoever's home first, cooks because I'm able to cook because of the experiences we just spoke about or do you know like it's not it's not just on my missus to, to do the washing or to, to put the dishwasher on like that I can do all of that because I was doing it if my brother's kit wasn't ready I'd wash it throw it in the tub of dryer etc like, I know how to look I'm probably more domesticated than most men in that regard so um, it just gives you a, a, a newfound respect for, for women or, or men that stay at home and, and look after the household. We are so happy to have Tonka as our sponsor this series. Basic Fun's Tonka collection is packed full of fun vehicles for kids who want to get out and get tough with their toys. So dads, you've got no excuse. Grab that Mighty Steel Classic truck. It's time to head to the sandpit for some tough play. Having had that little experience in it, when you had your first child, how did you adapt to it? Did you adapt well? I mean, because later on you've talked about how therapies help you become a, a better father. But when you were first immersed in it, how was it for you? Because there's a lot of dads who don't take to it that easily. And I think some of that is because they haven't had these experiences like with brothers and sisters where they've had to pick them up from school or just look after them and, and all those things. I think, I think in, the, in the practicality of it, I was, I was really good. No, I had, my, I had my, my first son when I was 21. So I was like, I was still a baby technically as well. So, and I just, I just, did I just move? Yeah, I just moved to Watford. Did I just move to Watford? No, I'm telling a lie. That doesn't even make sense, Troy. I was, I was 19, I was 19 about to be 20 when I had my first son. So, um, yeah, I was at Warsaw. So I'd just gone, to put it into like football contests, I'd just gone from like 800 pound a week to five grand a week. So, and at 19, coming from nothing. So I, in the practicality of it, yes, my my son had every pair of trainers you could, could ever think. He had them little ones that he doesn't even wear. He had all of them. <laughs> yeah, he had all of them. I could change his bum. I could get up in the middle of the night. I could do all of that. Yeah. In the emotional, was I at home, stay at home? Dad, no, not really. I was in that, what the, the earlier stage we just spoke about, like I'm providing... So I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And as long as I'm home and I see him for a couple of hours, that was enough. And then all literally fast forward 15, 16 months, I'm, I'm in jail. So I'm, I'm, I don't see him now for, for a few months. And then because I'm, I'm on tag and I'm trying to get my life back in order, probably for the next four years, I'm, I'm again providing, but I'm not really there because it's like, I've got to make up for lost time and work and work and work and work. Do you get what I mean? So it's only now for, for the oldest one. It's only really now these last two, probably lockdown to be fair, 
has made me reconnect and understand him a bit more. And because I've got I've got four in total now, so two boys, two girls, and and you your your time spread between all of them, and then lockdown made you just go bang. Here's all of them now. So who needs this and who needs that? And yeah, I'm able to understand them all a lot better. And I think they understand me a bit more because I've got a gym and stuff in the house that I still had to work out during lockdown. I think they started to see just how hard I work. Not dad's gone, not, not dad's gone out from nine till two, let's say. And when I get back, I'm tired. It's like, no, you see what it is. And especially for the eldest boy, because there's a few times he came in the gym with me. Yeah, and he'd he'd be dead by the time I finished my <laughs> warm up, which is natural because of the age. But yeah, yeah, he he'd be like, "Oh, I'm finished, Dad." Then he'd go and have a shower and he'd get whatever. Then he'd come back down and he's he's eating. He's like, "You still in here?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm getting into the main bit now." <laughs> oh wow! Then he go play his computer, or whatever. Then he come back. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, oh, "Yeah, I've got I got I got to swim now." And then when I finish swimming, then I got to do stretching. And then by the time it's lunch and I've come out, he's like, "You've just finished," and I'm like, "Yeah." He's like. He didn't say like wow. He's just like yeah, yeah. You know, you kids are. And he's, yeah, and he's just like okay. So yeah, it's just when I when I first had my first son, like I say, emotionally no. Uh, was I engaged? Yeah, I was like I was proud as anything, but um, I think I've become a better dad over the last three years, um, and they would all probably tell you that. Wow, and that's a direct result, you'd say, of talking to of people. Lockdown. Oh, of lockdown. Of lockdown. I would say it. So I was always talking, but I think we all do. We all talk, we need, it's going to sound really bad because people died and, and lost money and housing. But you know what the pandemic did? We all lived it. But I needed something to slow me down. I needed something to go, stop, put the brakes on and assess. And I think, I think the first week of lockdown, everyone was a bit scared, a bit, well, this is strange. This is, this is something new. But I don't think we could all... all of um, imagined being in lockdown for as long as we was. So there was that little bit of, this will be a week off. You know, let's just let's just enjoy it. You know, let's just do things we wouldn't do. I think like everybody else, we bought Monopoly, we did quizzes, we did all of those different things. Good times. Um, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then when we start getting into this longer state of, of lockdown, I think everyone... Well, not everyone, a large percentage of people would have would have sat back. And what I do pretty well, which is kind of blow smoke up my own backside, but I'm able to lift myself above my own situation and kind of like have a bird's eye view and look at all right, so that's a bit of a mess there. How do that's we, a great how, do we figure, how do we figure it out? And um and I can take the emotion out of it and just literally look at it as my life as, as how I want it to go and, and, and the business of life, i.e. I'm not. I'm putting too much focus over there and getting little return for it. In in the sense of emotionally, I'm investing a lot into this, whether that be people, and I'm not really getting much back. Like if you're always the person sending a text message to that other person, well, yeah. maybe maybe I don't really need to talk to that person because I'm not really getting much back. Yeah, it's one way. Yeah. So like, I just I was able to lift myself up and put all my energies into into what I really care about, and that's what's led us into not only being a better parent, better uh, family, but like with what's going on in, in the curriculum. Because if I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to see what my kids were actually doing. I would have already mentally known about it, but now I'm seeing it. All right, well, what, why aren't that changing? And do that. I wouldn't have been able to write the book. 
because I wouldn't have been in, engaged with what's going on socially because at that time, um, domestic abuse had gone up by 68% during lockdown. Okay, now my story is even more important now. There's no, finan- there's no financial gain in it for me, but my story now might help someone. And, that's a sn- and, I, and I've spoke to you before, I, I believe in the snowball effect. I believe in like, if I can impact one, that one will impact three, three to five, and it just keeps going, going, going. So um, I was, like I said before to someone, like, oh, how many copies does the book sell? I don't know. I don't really care. As long as, as, long it, long sold as it sold one. one. And it went to the right person. That was all that mattered. Yeah. That's, that, that's really important to know that. And our ethos at Dad Vengers is all about helping just one person. Help one person, help a couple of people and let them help someone else and that snowball effect. And it's, it's a way that I think people should think about things. You talked about um, being at home. Did you do some homeschooling during the lockdown? Always, yeah. Because my kids don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm big on maths. I love maths. I've heard this. I've heard you're a bit of a mathematician. You're, you're, you were, that was the yeah. subject of school that you were comfortable with. Yeah, that, I was top set for that all the way through. Wow. Like, just, I can't, well, what I couldn't do at the time was break down the workings out, but I could tell you the answer. So you could say to me, what, five times 57, I could go bank. And I just, it just comes out. But at school, I used to get punished because you didn't do the workings out. So they would just say you cheated. And I was like, I haven't cheated. I, I know the answers. But then it's like, show me your workings out. And I well, I can't take the top off my head and go there. That part of the brain just gave it me. So um, over time, and because I left school, I got kicked out of school at, at 15. And because I left with no, no grades, um, when, when my eldest started going to private school, I started fixating on he had to do good. He had to do well. Like he had to have grades and whatever. And then I think it was my mum said, like, you're on him a lot. Like, he's only six. Like, give him a break. And I was like, no, like, because he has to understand, like, A, it's expensive, but B, he's in a much better position to do better than me. And she went, but you haven't got any grades, so how can you tell him he needs grades? And I went, oh, yeah, what a hypocrite I am. So I went back to school when I was 24 and I got maths, English and science. I got all, all my GCSEs done. I admire that massively, dude, because you had no need to do that, did you? You had, you, you had your job, you, you know, it's not going to affect anything along those lines, but you did that for yourself. Yeah, and for my kids to, to, to prove that I'm not a hypocrite. So I did, I did that. And then I did, um, I took it a step further when I... Oh, would I have been now? I would have been like 27, 28. So that's a lie. I would have been 29, 30. So I, um, I went and got a degree in, um, in, in maths and, and, and business. And then in, at the age of 31 and 32, I just completed a, a degree from the Barcelona, uh, Barcelona Sports Institute, which is um, money management in business and football. I got a degree in that as well. Dude, I had no idea, but the background that you come from and for someone who wasn't, let's say, typically enthusiastic at school, right? To go on to do that later in life, that, that just shows you that, and we're, this brings us nicely round to what you're doing now, that it's, it's about the way you learn, who's teaching you, 
uh, and how you engage with that, that is the real key to education, right? A hundred percent. And I think just one more bit to add on to that for me, you have to be able to see, to see a, a pathway to, to where those grades lead you to. So for example, if you've got an A in maths, that doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to get a job at the end of it. Do you get what I mean? So I feel like with the learning, what we need to do and, and uh, you know, just for people that don't know what I'm doing, I've uh, obviously pushing that black history and, and diverse learning needs to be pushed right across the board. And um, I feel like that enables everybody to to have a conversation with different cultures and different, um, different people and, and start from a younger age, understanding that the way the world works isn't necessarily about grades. It's about who you know, how you know, and your intelligence level away from books. So, for example, and the easiest way to describe it is when, when we do math, we do maths, right? And I keep taking it back to maths, as you can see. Um, but when it's we talk good, about... Yeah, the talk, answer to that question, I think, was 285? <laughs> yeah, not bad for me, to be fair. <laughs> not bad for me, to be fair. But, um, but like, where we, where we talk about maths, we're going to do algebra. Instead of like just going into the lesson, we could literally start with from every age group by saying, look, mathematics was actually created by the Egyptians. The Egyptians then got it to a certain level and, and the Greeks took over. And now in the West, we use this as how the Greeks do. And we've taken it onto that. So in the, in the, the 10 seconds it just took me to tell you that, it has now enabled you to go, wow, I didn't know that about the Egyptians. Wow, I didn't know that about the Greeks. So after a lesson, a, a, a child or three or four children might come up to the teacher and go, Miss, sir, um, you said that was about the Egyptians. When did that happen? Oh, we don't have time for that right now. But if you go to the library, this book is here. Now that child is engaged and can go get that book if he or she wants to. And they feel and you don't know, And you don't know where that will lead on to because they might read something about the Egyptians and go, well, I didn't, I didn't know that about it. So if I don't know that about the Egyptians, what do I not know about... Uh, the Irish travelling community. Yeah, yeah. What do I not know about the Highlanders? You know, like things of this nature that makes you then go, kids are the most imaginative, special human beings on, on this earth, in my opinion. They all, they all, you could tell a kid they can fly and they'll believe you. Why? Because yeah. they don't have any fear that we have put on them as parents. Because we put our fears and try to direct and guide our kids into this safe space of... You've heard it, as I'm sure growing up, get a trade. He's have a trade. You'll be all right if you've got a trade. <laughs> do you get what I mean? And, and, and we all do that. And, and our parents aren't trying to dampen us. They're trying to push us in a way of thinking that is safe and that you know you can earn a living for your family and, and you'll be all right. And that's good. I know that so well. My dad, my son's a gymnast. So he trains five times a week. Like, gymnast, gymnast, gymnast. Yes, he works really hard at school as well, and he's, he's talented there as well. But my dad's question to me on a regular is like, what do you want him to be when he's older? Is he going to be a doctor? Is he going to be a lawyer? Is he, is he going to go down the road? Because he can't see that these days, if you're passionate about what you do and you love what you do, there's probably a way to make money doing it. There's, you, you can be happy doing that job. But from that generation, they're like, no, you, yeah, get that trade. But also, you just took shots about it. He can't see your your dad can't see how that becomes your son now or and or my daughters 
can now see that. Why? Because they have an iPad, they have YouTube. So they can now see young, successful people achieving. So it shouldn't be, again, in the household that they do that, because as we know, YouTube is a rabbit hole. And from one video, they go to 16 videos and you don't know where that goes. But imagine if you could just harness that in a school environment where they're reading books on these younger people, where they're, where they're understanding like, oh, this, this inventor who, inv who invented the uh, traffic light was a black person. Wow, because only the inventors we hear about are your Elon Musk's. Well, he's a, he's a middle-aged white man from South Africa whose dad gave him a 30 million get-up. That's not what we could get. We can't get that. So you, 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 you just got to be able to do that. And I'm, and I'm working on an idea at the moment that if I pull it off, will actually enable young children from a very young age, like first start reading age, to see and hear and feel what, what they can achieve. I basically am trying to come up with an idea, and I'll, I'll say it on here, where you replace Biff and Chip books. So every kid reads Biff and Chip, right? Yeah. But let's, let's just say we did the book on, on, you, on you, Nigel. We, we go, the first book has 40 words in it from start to finish. Mm. And then each, for each kid, uh, you know, kids read through the stages, that the colour stage is the key stage. That book never changes. It's still you. But all it does every time you go up a level is goes from 40 words to 50, 50 to 60. Yeah, but it yeah. gives you more detail about you all the way through. So by the time that kid's finished those book, key stage books, they're reading 120 words around you, but it's just more detail about what you actually did. And instead of it just being one different chip book, it's, it's 50. It's like a range, wow. And wow. it's 50, and, it's, and that's, men, that's men, women, black, white, Asian, all different ethnicities, but of 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 um, sportsmen, um, inventors, yeah, yeah, yeah. science, women in the sciences, whatever it might be, and that same book just develops. So by the time that that child is like seven, eight, nine, they've already got a deeper understanding of who these people are, what they can achieve. You're so passionate about education, and and this documentary that you've been working on. How long have you been working on it now? Uh, eight months in total. Eight months in total. I got to see it, uh, and a lot of people uh, got to see it on Monday when it um, was aired for the first time. Along the way, what have you been surprised to discover? Because there's a moment in the documentary that totally surprised me, and it's the moment with the one book on one side and mm -hmm. all the books on the other side. For me, that was mind-blowing to see what the UK government like recommended as this mm -hmm. is your this is your book on on uh black history and diversity and what is actually out there that mm -hmm. blew me away are there other things that have just been gobsmacking that made you just go oh, this is right this has driven me more to do what i'm doing uh yeah the the, the biggest one is, is is obviously the uh the individual that we met on there that you, you saw calvin people like that that was yeah, that was diff that was difficult because he's saying that there isn't a problem, and then yeah. he's also saying that if you if you challenge the problem, you don't like white people, which as you hear in the Dude, in the that, dark was that moment that moment in where oh, I was I was aghast I was literally <laughs> aghast to to know that uh, a mixed race man mm -hmm. didn't get it totally didn't mm -hmm. get it 
But for me, for me, that was partly because he's been indoctrinated into the system so mm -hmm. heavily that he can't see it. But uh, I think even one, one better than that, he doesn't want to see it. Right. Because if you're if you're if you're engaged and, and this will come in, in different different forms of white Asian black men or women, if you're if you're if you're making a pathway to successful for yourself in those spaces, why are you now gonna wanna change something that could potentially change your trajectory your, and how you're yeah. going? Change your and privilege that, even. Exactly. And for me, I I break the mold and people don't like it because I'm not doing this, as I said in, in the panel afterwards, I'm not doing this for Troy to get a pat on the back and how good is Troy. I'm doing this to, for this little bit of celebrity that I have to open the doors and bring through a load of young people, mainly women, if I'm being honest, are, are, the, are the people I'm working with at this moment in time. Um, and again, that's not a conscious thing. It's just who I've ended up realising and seeing. But young, smart women under the age of 25, who are going to be here for a lot longer than me. But here you go. Here is some, here is a voice and a space for you to talk to because without being attached to some form of celebrity, they would never get heard. These young yeah, yeah. women have been doing this for six, seven, eight years. And no one's listening. No one's hearing it. And, yeah. and if they are, it's in their community, in their bubble. And hopefully with this documentary going out, and everyone's names being put out there and, and, the, and the curriculums and the black curriculums, the impact of emissions, hopefully now they're getting more light shed on them and more people going there to actually understand the works because I don't know all the answers. I never claim to, don't, don't want to be the smartest in the room. I actually enjoy learning. But what I, what I will do and what I will always scare people is because I don't need anything from a government. I don't need anything from somebody else. So they can't dangle a little... If you do this for us, we'll give this for you. I'm fortunate I'm in a, a situation where financially I'm good. I'm very good. So what, what do I need? If, are they going to cancel me? But where we met is the perfect example. We met at Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And why it's... can't people cancel him? Because he doesn't need it. What he wants to do, he's still able to do. Yeah. Unless they literally tell me they're going to take my children away from me if I don't stop talking. That's all I need is my family. Yeah. And that's a powerful position to be in, dude. And I admire what you're doing. I'm just going to say on here, put um, 4OD, it's on demand for people that missed it and feel like they can't watch it. It's on 4OD on demand. Please go and watch it. I think it's, um, I think it's a, bal a balanced view, but a powerful uh, film. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that because it's Troy. No, but, it uh, is. It like is. It's... And do you know what I'm really looking forward to? It's not finished yet. It, that's mm -hmm. the first part there will be i'm sure there'll be an update later on and seeing mm -hmm. where it goes and and that's what excites me and yeah i advise anyone to watch it i i've watched it twice already so yeah oh, thank Definitely. you man. I, I, I appreciate that and I, and I i just think i just think for 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 parents now and we, we can use this as like a, an end message if you want but i just feel like for for, for all parents now we're in a in a privileged position i I lost my dad 10 years ago, right? So I would give anything to have one more conversation with him. I'd give anything to have one more dinner with him. I'd, have, I'd give anything to kick a ball with him one more time. So I seen a video on YouTube the other day and it, and it really hit home. If you knew your parents were going to pass away, let's say your parents, you see your parents twice a week, uh, twice a year, birthday and, and Christmas. 
and you know they're going to pass away because they're, they're elderly and they're going to pass away in five years' time. You've only got to see your parents 10 more times. Mm. Just think how powerful that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now as parents, let's live every moment for our children because you don't know how long they've got, you don't know how long you've got. Yeah. And in a, in a world where the negativity is so high, you, you turn the news on, it's negative. You look around, everyone's miserable. Take yourself out of that, close your front door, turn all the noise off, all the phones off, and just look at what you've got. Not the material, not the, the microwave don't work or the, 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 the kettle's on its way out or whatever it might be. Just look at what you have. And once you've got that, that is true true love, true happiness, true success. You're able to have children. You're able to develop someone's young mind into being something whatever they want to be. It's a beautiful thing. And, and as parents, I don't think we, or as people, I don't think we look back at that too often. I think we're so in the rat race of next, 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 that we don't go, wait, let's just, let's just have a look at what we've actually got. Dude, that's powerful. That's beautiful. Definitely. Listen, before I let you go, there's a couple of things I need to do. We often put out to the public to send in a couple of questions for our guests. So we've had a couple come in here. This one's from Quizzy the Quiz, and it says, being a father is an incredibly rewarding thing. Uh, what obstacles have you faced beyond the normal ones we all face that um, you've maybe experienced because of your profession and the fame that accompanies it? Uh, I'm not able to watch uh, my kids' sports days or football or anything like that without just what's watching. going on here. But yeah, I can't just go and be a parent. I can't walk around as there with the kids. Or I, do you know, like we, the the again, I'm going to sound like I'm, I'm complaining. I'm not complaining. I've got a wonderful life, but it's it's more of the the day to day things I can't do. I can't just pick my kids up from school and be dad and and go to the park because there'll be. 20, 30 people going, A, can we have pictures? B, what's going on in football? What's going on in this? What do you think about that? And I can't just be immersed in that. The biggest problem I have is, it's not actually anything to do with my profession. It's, um, I got divorced four years ago and, yeah. um, and I'm, I've got a new partner. So the, 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 the problem I've had is that two of my kids don't live with me. Yeah. That's been the hardest challenge because yeah. a, alongside work there, Let's just say, for argument's sake, I have them every other weekend. Um, I may have two away matches, which means I'm away Friday and Saturday. So I'll only maybe get to see them Sunday. But the way we've worked is I don't actually see them those weekends when I'm awake. It's not fair on them. Yeah. So I might go sometimes three, four weeks without seeing my kids. That's, that's probably the hardest thing. Yeah, that is tough. That's really, really tough. Thanks for being open about that. Got another one from Gordy Pope who says... Have family commitments ever come into play when choosing the club that you're going to play for? 100%. Where well, I am now. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, had, um, we had opportunities to go. One was Saudi Arabia, um, which was an awful lot of money, as you can imagine. Um, one was to go to Scotland, which was a lot of money. Um, and the lesser of all of the options I had was to come to Birmingham, which is my hometown club. But I'm 15 minutes door to door from, from my kids and I'm 20 minutes away from work. 
So at, at this at this stage of my life, it was let's get family together and let's make that more more whole and 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 enjoy those little moments instead of being away again and and chasing a pound note. Yeah, man, good choice, the right choice. You did well. The last question to ask you before we finish is this. We ask this to all of our guests and it is, if you could have a dad superpower, what would it be and why? It would be to be able to understand my kids, like what they think and why they think it, and then to be able to help. Um, I think <laughs> I think for me, for me, uh, we're, we're always trying to like, I get very angry as well. Not angry, like a, uh, I get like frustrated in a, I can't figure out why they would do things. So we have like what I think are basic template rules in the house, like no phones at the dinner table, no iPads at dinner table. And we do this weird thing where we talk for 30 minutes, like when we're eating, we have conversations to see what's going on. Um, to be able to listen to like the kids and understand what they're doing. But in a normal setting, like, like I've got a two-year-old who's fascinated with like cars at the moment but will not put one down when we're eating. So like to be able to understand <laughs> why you why, need why you that car. That down? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if I take it off you, why do you start crying? Like to understand things of that nature, um, that would be my superpower. Awesome. Great choice. And the reason that I reacted the way I did is because it's, it's the same thing I chose. When I got asked that question, I was like, yeah. I put it in a slightly different way. I was like, I'd love to be able to just put my hand on my child's head and know, oh, that's why you're feeling like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, yeah no yeah. worries. No worries. Yeah. It's all good. So yeah, I totally get it. Listen, thank you so much for your time and for being here. Uh, you've been absolutely amazing and uh, we will be staying in touch. I will help you yep. with anything that you're needing. Vice to do. versa. Uh, yeah, I man. appreciate what you're doing. And that's why when you told me about it, I said, we'll get it done. Apologies. It took a little bit longer than it, it should have done, but um as you can see, I've been busy, but uh, we, <laughs> we will, anything we can do moving forward, we should champion it. And I, and I do think there needs to be more work done in and around parenting and then in and around uh, dads in, in, in particular uh, with, with emotional connections and understanding their children. So anything I can do for that, I will help. Definitely. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. What an incredible man, what an incredible father, what an inspiration. If you haven't seen the documentary we were talking about, go and watch that. If you haven't listened to Troy talking on other documentaries, the reason I wanted him on this podcast was because he was on the Louis Through Grounded podcast. I think he's an incredible human being who's going to do a lot for a lot of people and I'm glad that we had him here on the Dad Ventures podcast. So there you go, another episode done. But what did you think of it? we would love to know. Leave us a review or a comment on Apple Podcasts or on social media about this episode or the series as a whole. And don't forget, if you wanna be first to hear brand new episodes, make sure you subscribe via your preferred podcast platform. To find out more about Dadvengers, make sure you head to our website, dadvengers.com, where there is information about our live chats, our dad walks, our blog posts, and more. We'll see you soon.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.